Dr. Nika White, today's guest, is the author of Inclusion Uncomplicated, a transformative guide to simplify DEI. We'll talk about the implications of the Supreme Court's recent ruling on colleges' affirmative action for corporate efforts at building inclusive cultures. She'll also share insights about her work and her superpower. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show, where we empower you. Nika, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I am so excited to visit with you. Uh, It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, and I I look forward to the conversation. Well, you know, you you do such important work uh, in your DEI profession, um, but this is a really important moment in time. I mean, this is a historic moment in time because the Supreme Court recently ruled on affirmative action, that it was uh, bad, uh, wrong to do affirmative action. And this is really uh, kind of upsetting the apple cart in uh, academia, but it is also making people nervous in corporate environments about what is appropriate for DEI. How do you answer that question these days? Well, Devin, it is definitely creating a stir right now, particularly among those who have been deeply committed to um, providing a very intentional way of ensuring diverse applicant pools for enrollment into institutions, but then also for um, workplace, right, employment opportunities. And so even though right now this is seemingly only impacting the higher learning institutions, it's also going to impact corporate because the workforce comes from those individuals that are part of um, these higher learning institutions. And so I think that it is a time of reckoning. It is a time where we are taking a moment to pause and to process. And within those moments of processing, hopefully we are thinking about how do we not abandon the value set of diversity, equity, and inclusion, even in the midst of this new ruling. And I believe that a lot of organizations who were deeply committed to this work Um, are going to find creative and innovative ways to make sure they continue to foster a high level of commitment to DEI. Of course, the the ruling, uh, the Supreme Court ruling itself, had no bearing on what happens in a corporation. It only applied to academia. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. Um, But again, I think that a lot of those um, corporate recruiters and HR professionals and even just leaders that value having a workplace that is based on people from different walks of life, different demographics, different experiences to help improve the output of the final product offering, um, they are concerned as well. Because, you know, sometimes people believe that when we see steps like this, it could then go to a broader um, reach of, of organizations. And so right now, while it's just higher learning institutions, um, there's something to be said for the uncertainty about could this now also create conversations? And it's not so far. Well, this could find itself on the doorsteps of many corporations. In the interim, what are you recommending to companies that they do uh, differently? Anything? Yes, absolutely. Lots of things. Um, the first is don't panic. I think that it's so important for the intensity uh, within the volume of this message that has hit the airwaves for those who are committed to this work 
to equally intensify the volume of the value set, right? And I think this is a time for organizations to realign and reassess um, their why. Why did they, in the first place, you know, have such a deepened commitment to DEI? And once they align around that, I think it forces this conversation whereby if people are feeling afraid or they're feeling uncertain or they're just holding these curiosities around what does this mean for us, it gives them the ability to go ahead and address that at the onset, right? Versus having to wait until some type of mandate is placed down and then they haven't thought about what is our plan function? How does this impact our workforce, our organization? So having those deep conversations are really important. I also think that this is time for leadership in particular to show that leadership. And I think that equity and inclusion is all about leadership and not finding um, this news um, as a, a crutch or an excuse or a reason to abandon the work is really critical. And that type of message, it needs to come from leadership because I think that it will model the tone to be set for everyone else in the organization. Nikki, you are the author of Inclusion Uncomplicated. Uh, it's a book about DEI. Uh, tell us a little bit about the book and some of the key lessons. Sure. Thank you for this question, Devin. So I did release book number three earlier this year um, in partnership with Forbes Books as my publisher, and it's called Inclusion Uncomplicated, A Transformative Guide to Simplify DEI. And this is a book that helps everyone, regardless of your position, your title, where you are within your journey of deepening your understanding of DEI, to really think about what is my role now and what type of influence do I have within the circles that I belong to where I can take a more active part and more intentional part of fostering equity and inclusion. And I think that what happens oftentimes, Devin, is that people will stay on the sidelines because they view this work as very daunting. They see it as solely the responsibility of the individuals who carry the title of chief diversity officer, manager, leader, director, or even those HR professionals. And and I think that's part of the opportunity that is being missed right now. We need to get more people engaged, particularly those who believe in the value of DEI, but they just don't know exactly how to support this work. And so this helps to demystify um, the complexity of diversity, equity, and inclusion, which I think is um, an entryway for many people to, to find ways to get involved and engaged. Yeah, that is a... Uh... A brilliant, brilliant key point. Uh, it, it is kind of a team effort. How do you go about drawing in people who are reluctant? Uh, yeah. How do you draw in? Maybe it's maybe it's not possible to 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 draw in the real naysayers, the the people who make fun of the woke messaging and that, yes. but, but there is a whole broad swath of people sort of in the middle who are um, unfamiliar, maybe yeah. uncomfortable, um, yes. who, who have good intentions, you know, want to be good right. people, but, but they're confused. How do we draw, how do you draw them in? This is such an important question, Devin, and I think it starts with realizing that resistance, reluctance, to use your word, is often a lack of clarity. And so if we begin to demystify, right, this broad 
work of DEI. I think that it helps to break down those barriers. If we communicate with great clarity the why, if we will own the narrative to help ensure that people understand how does this benefit all of us, not just certain groups of people, well, what is the value to all of us, right? I think if we can help bridge that gap, then more people would be willing to sign you know, themselves as, as ambassadors and champions of this work. We don't know what we don't know. And when something feels very foreign or, or strange to us, we tend to back off and disengage. And so that is why I believe inclusion uncomplicated is so important. And we want people to, to be uh, willing to engage in conversations. I also think that the awareness, the education piece, the learning and development, all of that's critical. And we have to realize that people are starting at different places when they enter their journey of deepening their knowledge and understanding of DEI. There's not a one-size-fits-all approach. And so for those practitioners who are really trying to create buy-in, right, and and to and you know in, elicit deeper engagement, we're going to have to make sure we're varying our our ways and modalities of how in which we're reaching people from a learning experience perspective. There are sadly in this world uh, some anti woke people who are pretty vocal. I call them anti woke. I think that's how they sort <laughs> of self identify, yes. right? Uh, yes. As um, how would you? interact with them? How would you coach DEI professionals to interact with them to to make work work uh, in in that context? Uh, Sometimes they're in positions of of influence. That's why we can't just brush them aside. Uh, Yeah, that's really true. So what would you do it? Well, in the words of um, late Maya Angelou, you know, when people show you who they are, believe them. And that's not to say that people, once they're exposed to different perspectives, that they can't change their mindsets. They can't then um, support something that maybe at one point they felt was a distraction and irrelevant and unnecessary. But what I will say to that, Devin, is that I think that as champions and as advocates, we have to be very self-aware to understand what type of tolerance and what type of emotional capital we have to give to certain audiences that we feel like may not ever you know, come along to understand and appreciate and embrace the value. And I say that in great recognition of even thinking about writing the book, Inclusion Uncomplicated. I'm very clear in the book who the book is not for, as well as who the book is for. And who my book is not for are those individuals who have dug their heels into the sand and they have made a pretty firm stance that there is no way I'm going to see the value of this work. I'm not talking to those individuals, but rather I'm talking to the larger population of people that are either indifferent, they are unaware and they just don't know how to engage. They are afraid to engage because it takes a courageous and brave spirit sometimes to broach these conversations. That's who I'm talking to, those who may be passive and just need tools and skill sets to be able to navigate these conversations and these topics in a really useful way. And so um, I think that for those who are listening and they are watching and they are wondering, okay, so do we not want um, to get those individuals who are on the opposite side to engage? I think that we just have to each understand what our tools are. And if we feel like there is um, a propensity to be able to influence them. And for me, I would just rather spend my time and energy 
addressing the crowds of people that want to be in the midst of doing this work effectively, but they just don't know how. Yeah, yeah, uh, I appreciate that. Well, listen, everybody, uh, we are going to take a quick pause, uh, but we'll be back with Nika to talk about her superpower. So stick around. Join us for the Super Crowd Hour with Leah bollier Gatro of King's Crowd as she explains how you can start investing for impact with just $100 on August 16th at 1 Eastern, 10 Pacific. Register now at thesupercrowd.com. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, we're here with Nika, uh, Dr. Nika White. We're, we're excited, Nika, to talk to you a little bit about uh, your superpower. You you have done some extraordinary things. You've, you've developed you. uh, a, a successful uh, consulting practice. Uh, you, you've got a PhD. I mean, you're, you're really an accomplished uh, human being. And as, um, as you think about all that you've been able to do and accomplish in your life and career, what do you see as your superpower? Hmm. This is a great question. Um, there are a lot of, of areas where I feel like I am skilled um, that relate to my profession, but one that is not spoken of as often, which um, I do very much consider to be a superpower, is my ability to hold the middle, you know, to appreciate the, the nuance. Um, to be that bridge builder. I think that's so important. And when you talk about trying to address division within society, within teams, within organizations, being able to hold the middle and to be that bridge builder and to appreciate the both and is, is really critical. And so um, I like to think that that's a superpower that I bring to my dialogue facilitation, to my um, you know, learning and development, instructional design, um, and even to just, you know, having conversations where people are really seeking to, to take perspective of someone else for the benefit of learning and deepening their understanding. So holding the middle becomes really important. I would say that's my superpower. That That is a great superpower. I, I wonder if you could share an example of of a time when you used that superpower holding the middle uh, to accomplish something you're proud of. Yeah. Um, so I I'm so deeply entrenched in my work that it's it's probably natural for different work scenarios to come um, to play. And um, I remember this was years ago. I am based in Greenville, South Carolina, and Greenville County was the last county in the nation to recognize MLK, Dr. King, as an official holiday. And that news left a stain on Greenville. And there were a lot of protests, a lot of division. And finally, once the holiday was passed, um, there's, they needed a lot of healing. And so I would say that the both and was being a convener of different individuals within the community, different leaders and influencers, and just giving space for people to express their frustration, right? Um, to express their dismay. Um, but then also to turn that and to say, how can we now let this work for our good? And when I think about the outcome that I'm really proud of, we went on a group of us that served as founders of what came known as MLK Dream Weekend. For 10 years, we curated these special 
um, events and um, different types of initiatives in honor of Dr. King's legacy. And one of those initiatives was a diversity banquet. And so the very first year after the holiday was passed, um, we convened hundreds of people for this banquet and this celebration. And I remember we were fortunate enough to be able to get the attention of Dr. Bernice King to come and be our keynote speaker. And the reason that I, I reflect on that based upon your question, Devin, is because when you think about MLK weekend, where the children, the voice, the legacy of Dr. King could be anywhere delivering any type of message that Dr. Bernice King saw fit to come to Greenville and to share a message with us. And that message was the last shall be first. And so when I think about holding the middle and the both ends, we could have waddled in that disappointment. We could have let that define us. We could have um, just not taken the initiative to really try to see the other side of it, the both end, right? And allow us to overcome. And um, that is that is something that I'm proud to say that I was a part of, was bringing that level of healing through these specially curated events in honor of Dr. King. Yeah. yeah, it's a, a powerful story, a great example. Yeah. If you yeah. were trying to coach someone to develop this capacity, and I realize, you know, it, it's tempting for us always to think of our, our skills as being unique uh, and intrinsic, <laughs> but yeah. to some extent, they can be copied. They can be learned too. Yeah. Uh, how would you coach someone to learn to emulate you in this way? Oh, such a, such a great question. I think that how I have been able to operate um, at, a, at a high level and holding the middle, you know, really considering the nuance and the both and has a lot to do with my level of curiosity. I have a questioning um, frame of mind. And I think that asking questions is a great way to learn and to um, form a perspective, not judgment, but perspective, even before you speak. And so it also relates not only to um, the curiosity and asking questions, but how well are we actively listening, right? And I think also our level of tolerance for difference has a lot to do with it as well. And I typically don't like the word tolerance because no one likes to be tolerated. We like to be valued. We like to be celebrated. But when I think about tolerance as it relates to finding its way into conversations that can be quite divisive, I often share with people that my belief is that acceptance doesn't always mean agreement. And I think that's also holding the middle. We may not be able to fully align on this as a value set that we equally prioritize, but can we accept that that is each other's truth, that that is each other's stance and position, and accept that for the other person, right? And that is what holding the middle is about. It is about that level of tolerance when there is this, you know, seemingly divide of, of value sets and of difference um, and asking questions, allowing that curiosity to show forth and listening, listening intently, listening to respond and not to react. And there is a difference between the two. When we react, we are very much in the moment. We aren't thinking about the long-term consequences, right? But when we respond, we're very thoughtful. We're very intentional. We're very guarded, right? And I think that's critically important. 
Yeah. You know, listening, you, you talk about listening and, and it, it is really challenging. It is easy to say listening it's, is important, but it is hard to master that skill. And, yeah. and I say that as one whose job is to listen, right? <laughs> as a hard. podcast host, right? That's what I yes. do. And um, how would you coach people uh, to listen better. Yeah, it's definitely a skill that we have to learn and we have to practice. It's not something that comes natural to many of us. Um, I think one coaching tip would be we have to learn to quiet our ego, right? Um, our ego gets in the way because it causes us to want to have the, the last word, the first word to interrupt to um, immediately begin to judge what someone else is saying. And if we're judging what they're saying and not really listening to understand, then of course that's not really active listening. Um, I think that we have to also make sure that we're planning for those difficult conversations. You know, we know when conversations potentially have the ability to go awry or to be, you know, complex. And so what are we doing on the front end? Are we building and cultivating those relationships so that we're showing up with the level of respect for the person on the receiving end, right? Um, I think that makes a difference. Are we ensuring that the environment and the timing is conducive for a real productive conversation where we can listen intently? Are we just listening to respond or are we listening to uh, make sure that we're understanding what the person is saying? So are we repeating back what we have heard and how we have interpreted what we've heard to make sure that that's accurate? Or are we, again, showing up with a level of curiosity where we're asking a lot of questions? We spend so much time making definitive statements, I believe, Devin, and not nearly enough time asking thoughtful questions. And so um, that clarity piece is, is, is so critical. And I believe that, you know, that rapport, that cultivation of relationship is key as well. If we meet a conversation that's delicate with the sense of aggression and a tone of aggression, we often are going to be met with aggression. And then the conversation ends. And the whole point oftentimes when we are engaged in difficult conversations is the likelihood being seen, heard, understood, so that we can find that common ground. So not seeing it as, is there is there a winner and a loser? But how can we both mutually benefit from the clarity that we are committed to in this conversation. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah. that's brilliant, it takes advice, practice. brilliant advice. <laughs> it does take practice, and uh, and and, it, and deliberate intention. Don't you agree? You have to want to yes. listen. Yeah, yeah. It, yes, it, I, I really love hard. the fact. I love the language of deliberate intention. That is what intentionality is all about, is being deliver deliberate. It is being calculated. It is, is planning in advance for it. And there's so much power behind that word, intentional, intentionality, intent. So I, I, it is a word that finds its way into a lot of my talks and my conversations. My first book was entitled Intentional um, um intentional inclusionists, you know, to talk about how this work requires us to be very calculated and, you know, that forethought and strategic with it. Um, and I even do a podcast and a podcast that's called Intentional Conversations. And so it's a word that finds its way often into um, conversations. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, uh, Nika, I'm so happy that you could join us for this conversation. Before we wrap up, I wonder if you would take, take just a minute and tell people how they can learn more about your practice, connect with you, find your book, et cetera, et cetera. 
Thank you again, Devin, for the opportunity and for the chance to share a little bit more about how folks can connect with me. And so um, my website is nikawhite.com. We are a full service diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging boutique consultancy, where we intersect the work of DEIB with leadership and business, working with all types of clients, different industries, different sectors and sizes, helping them integrate into their business frameworks, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And um, so the website has lots of great resources, um, lots of great information. We would love to be um, in a conversation with anyone that's interested in looking for a partner to help them on their DEIB journey. And um, I'm just I'm grateful to be here. And in terms of my book, um, you can get the book anywhere where you like to purchase your books. And of course, Amazon is always an easy way to get the book as well. Um, and it's available in Kindle and hard copy and in audio. And so look forward to being in conversations um, with people as they engage um, with this tool and this resource. Fantastic. Well, uh, again, thank you so much, Nika, for being with us today. Yeah. We wish you every success in your continued efforts you. to expand <laughs> and uh, a more inclusive society and a workplace. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. All righty. Let's do some good. <laughs>